This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. We have a tendency, I think, to ignore this distinction between, you know, sort of the sound transit projects, which tend to favor a very different type of transit user uh, than the local Pierce Transit which is the bus that picks you up on a street corner and takes you to Tacoma Mall or takes you to the hospital or takes you to your doctor's office. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez on Crossing Division. As you will recall, we have been doing uh, podcasts to follow up on the Downtown On The Go Friday Forums. Um, This is the last of their Friday Forums for 2021. And today's topic, the panel discussed um, breaking the urban bubble, race and transportation policy in Pierce County and Tacoma. And uh, we just finished listening to that forum, um, and it was mostly about sort of decision-making and planning and and considerations like this. So I am joined today by uh, Joe Lopez, who is going to help talk through some of these issues. Joe, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I am Joe Lopez. I am Evelyn's husband. I am an attorney and was for many years a daily consumer of transit services on various bus routes and train routes between here and Seattle. And Joe also was uh, on the Tacoma City Council, and so he had some experience with the decision-making process. We thought we would call our topic today, why is it so hard to make change? And um, Let's start talking about, let's, let's put it into a transportation context, Joe, so that we're at least providing some transportation. You were on the city council when the council was deciding on the route for the um, link light rail that is now um, almost finished and it's running up along um, Martin Luther King Jr. Avenue. Um, so how would you characterize that in terms of decision making? Was it sort of a hey, we need to do this thing, so let's just make a decision. Was it a matter of getting community input and meeting needs of the community? What what kind of decision-making would you say went into that? Um, trying to remember, there were um, several potential routes that would, well, let me even go back further than that. Um, this what we're talking about, which is now being built, was you know phase two of the link rail uh, that starts at Tacoma Dome Station and is now planned to go to uh, up to Martin Luther King Way and down to the hospital, St. Joe's. Um, at the time, the question that was presented was what route would we take from Commerce Street where the light rail currently ends to get up to Martin Luther King Way. And there were a couple of different proposals. The proposal that ended up um, 
prevailing was to simply continue along Commerce Street as it becomes Stadium Way, goes down to Stadium High School, and then, you know, we'll make the bend and go up toward Wright Park and then turn toward, um, eventually turn on to Martin Luther King Way. Uh, there was a fair amount of public comment, a lot of concern about the stadium way proposal, which ultimately prevailed because it's difficult for pedestrians to access it since to get there from the apartments that dot it, you have to go down a fairly steep hill and there were questions about how people would get there. This was ultimately the route that prevailed for a couple of reasons. One was, was merely cost. Uh, there simply wasn't the budget to route it a different way. And some of the cost involved in running the track down Stadium Way had already been incurred when the pavement along Stadium Way had been upgraded a few years previously. Mm -hmm. So that was that was really where it came down. It was this is is financially possible. Going another route may not be feasible. And that was where we ended up. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that is really important. And here's why. A lot of times you'll see a public project. And as a community member, you will want to engage. And we can talk a little bit about building in the Proctor District, too. And yet there are realities in place that mean that there's not really a whole lot of variation possible. So, for example, would it have been possible um, for someone to come at that point and say, look, I'm really concerned about gentrification on Hilltop. You know, we're already starting to see the area changing. And if you run this rail line right through the middle of it, it just seems like it's going to be a, a way for more people to buy in who want to take the link down to the Tacoma Dome and then jump on uh, the train or a bus up to Seattle. So it's going to suddenly make our neighborhood even more attractive to the younger, more affluent Seattle commuters. Let's just scrap the whole idea. Was, was there a, a point in that decision-making where just scrap it was even an option or was that off the table already? You know, when I came into the discussion, that was really off the table. In part, I think, because a lot of the feeling was the Hilltop community was an area that had traditionally not been very well served by city services or other services. It had, you know, basically been starved out. Mm -hmm. And a lot of Hilltop storefronts at that time were vacant. Um, it was difficult to attract business to Hilltop. And this was actually seen as a way of encouraging commercial development along there, an area that, as I say, traditionally had not been getting a lot of attention from the city. It was an area where we tended to deal with problems as they arose. We didn't tend to do a whole lot in the way of long-term planning or development. Mm -hmm. Well, and you mentioned also that the route, although there were a couple under consideration, the route that was from the beginning, I would say the pretty obvious uh, logical choice um, was the choice because of economic issues. There had already been some uh, regrading and upgrading of sidewalks because of the repaving project, and um, and it was going to be a 
less expensive option to go that route than some others. So the economics of the decision often means that even when um, a government entity is seeking input, the input is going to be somewhat limited by other factors. Yes. Yeah. Um, so my point of, of this is, is this, for this type of a, of a project, um, the really savvy advocate is going to realize pretty quickly that there are some results that are not going to be, um, it's not going to be productive to spend your time arguing that this project should not be built. You know, enough groundwork has been done. The funding has been committed. It's going to happen. Where your advocacy can be effective is in trying to get the best deal for whoever you are advocating for. So if you're advocating for local businesses, try to get some extras in the deal of um, amenities, uh, better sidewalk repair, additional things that can help the local business district. You know, sometimes when you're involved in the decision-making process, you really do have to get, um, you have to be real about what you can achieve and always be willing to pivot a little bit to get something, even if you can't get everything. Well, and I've, you know, again, if, if you don't like the route that's going down stadium way, uh, it's probably not very realistic to advocate that it should be routed somewhere else when the mm -hmm. costs just take that right out of feasibility given the project budget. But that's no reason not to advocate for, you know, remediation of certain problems and obstacles for uh, pedestrians, bicycle riders and the rest. Mm -hmm. So I think one area where I um, agree and disagree with the panel is I, I sort of got the sense that the panel was saying, understand that when we're opening something up for discussion, we really want to hear your specific comments on this particular issue. And it may not be the right time to bring up other things or other topics that you want to um, tell us about. And on the one hand, I would say, yes, that's true. And the savvy advocate is going to be listening for where in the discussion they can put some pressure on to get at least something out of the decision making. But I'm also going to disagree and say that um, for our elected officials, particularly, their job is to listen to us. So even if the issue before them is a very narrow issue, such as, you know, where where should this be routed? If a whole bunch of people come in and say, you know, our real concern is this, our real concern is, um, let's just let's just say, you know, that the park, People's Park that's along that route needs to have uh, bathroom facilities in it for any number of reasons. We need more public restrooms available on this area, especially if you're going to route a transportation line through it. It is not really great if, uh, if the officials then say, thanks, we really appreciate that, but we're not here to talk about public restrooms right now. Um, so I would say, I think that um, one of the challenges in our decision-making practices and in our public comment practices is that our public leaders are too often narrowly focused on the issue that's directly in front of them and maybe not as open as they should be to really listening to what people are saying. Because if people are committed enough to turn out on a small issue, um, that means these are your really engaged citizens and you really want to hear what they're talking about. Well, and typically, you know, if a number of people are coming out, there are probably many more people who share the same concern, but 
do not have the time or don't have the, uh, the ability to attend the meetings and make the view known. So let's take another um, example. And I realize I'm sort of coming at you out of left field on this because we didn't talk about this. But um, currently in the Proctor District in Tacoma, there's another proposed, there's a couple of different proposed um, larger buildings. One is sort of behind the elementary school is, a, I think it's a six floor apartment building that's proposed. And local um, neighbors, some of the neighbors are very upset about this and feel that once again, this damages the um, feeling of Proctor that's going to impair their quality of living, that it will result in more traffic, more people, and uh, change to the neighborhood. And um, they're trying to be savvy by saying it's not that we're opposed to having an apartment building, we just want a better uh, project. They have signs up saying, you know, we demand a better project. Yeah, I'm, and, not quite, I'm, I'm not quite sure what better refers to, but yeah, that, that, well, that is what I that think is the idea, argument. Yeah, I think their idea of better is um, somewhere else, something else. Not we will help you come up with an idea for something we can all live with, but just whatever you have planned, we don't like it. Um, in that case, you know, the neighbors seem to be under the impression that they can stop the project. And frankly, they're wrong. I mean, you well, can't, you, they can't stop it. Yeah, the, the, the current project as proposed, it comports with the zoning for that particular area. That is the street that it's going to be on is for a long stretch of it, a commercial road. Um, it, it abuts, it, it, come, it turns off Proctor. There's a dry cleaner on the corner. There's a martial arts dojo. There's a sports consignment shop, a post office, a dentist's office, the elementary school. Uh, the building is gonna go in largely on a plot of land where there's currently a, a, an auto collision repair place. I mean, right. it's a commercial street. Right. It's going to take out, in addition to the collision repair, it's going to take out two houses, at least one of which I think is already being used as storage for, I think, the collision place. Yeah, that's my understanding. It's the parts shop. But, you know, we heard this before when uh, the first building on Proctor, Proctor Station, went in about six or so years ago. And then we heard some of the similar complaints when the, the second Proctor development, the one that's across the street from uh, Met Market, went in. The objection is that it's going to increase traffic in Proctor. It's going to create parking problems. Uh, you know, from my interaction with the Proctor community, I don't live there, but I shop there reasonably often. I haven't had trouble getting parking. I haven't had you know, problems driving through there after those other two developments went in. Um, what the people who are opposed to the current development are trying to hang their hat on is challenging the SEPA determination, which is an environmental review process that major projects have to go through to determine if there are substantial impacts on the environment or other factors such as traffic and parking. They want to challenge that determination in court. Um, typically, these kinds of challenges don't do very well. In this particular case, I think they've 
They've said they need a budget of about $40,000 to have the money to challenge this. They've got a GoFundMe site up to raise money. I looked at it a few days ago. I think they were currently at about 12000 of their goal, and the GoFundMe had been open for several months. Mm-hmm. And so this, to me, is an example of how you don't effectively impact decision-making. Um, one, your position is no. When the land is owned by someone else, they have a right to develop it. They're within the zoning code and within you know what, what is allowable. Um, second, instead of engaging any kind of attempt at negotiation, and maybe they made some attempts, you immediately go to lawsuit land. And so then uh, the developer is going to be far less likely to listen to you or feel like they can engage with you uh, because they're already thinking that they may be pulled into a lawsuit. Well, and I think this is um, Rush Construction, who also built the other two buildings. Mm. Um, They've been through this before. Yeah. I mean, I, I can recall attending some public meetings before Proctor Station went in with, you know, all the shouting and the wringing of the hands and, you know, the building went up and it's just there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing is, so, you know, if I were advising this group on their engagement um, to try to impact decision making, I would have said, you're not going to get them to not develop this land. And it is logical that the, that this is exactly where we want an apartment building to go. What you might be able to do is to work with them on some design details, on some setback, on some uh, landscaping details. You might be able to work with them on you know some agreement as to priorities for you know trying to get businesses in on the first floor that are would be increased amenities to the neighborhood. Um, you know, there's a way that you can positively impact these decisions, but the flat out stop is not likely. Well, you know, I was thinking about this project the other day and coming at it from a different angle. I mean, I think one of the, one of, and we are straying a bit from transit, but one of the words in the topic was equity. And there's a kind of inequitable quality to this whole discussion. Inequitable in the sense to me that the amount of time and press that Proctor complaints are given every time there's a project of this sort, we never focus on on complaints in in other areas of the city. And I'm specifically thinking about um, you know driving down near the Tacoma Mall. Um, what is it? That's Pine Street. Mm-hmm. And as you as you fly down Pine, heading south, to your right, substantial tract of land that was once single-family housing has, over the last five to ten years, uh, been transformed into townhouses, multi-residential dwellings. And we don't get any, we, we don't hear any complaints from people in that area when this sort of development goes along. And I'm sure there must have been, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm sure there must have been people down in the Tacoma Mall area who didn't like the fact that the house next door to me just got taken out and they're putting in, you know, some two family, three family dwelling in its place. But we don't listen to those complaints, but we hear it when it's Proctor. And 
there just seems to be an inequity in, in the kind of time and attention that people in different parts of the city get for these kinds of issues. Well, I think that kind of leads me into another area I wanted to talk about, and that is, um, and the panel discussed this a little bit, and I'll say, I'll say it this way, um, current power, whoever currently controls the power is always going to be interested in maintaining the status quo because the status quo is their power. Um, we have worries about things like we think, you know, is the Chamber of Commerce, do they have too much influence because they have close relationships with the city council members and the county council members? Are there um, developers, do they have close relationships? We worry about the impact of uh, campaign contributions on decision making. You know, are the groups that are giving money into these campaigns, like the, the realtors groups and the others, are they, um, do they have undue influence in the decision-making? And I would say that um, they do, whether it's undue or not. And um, people who are not engaging in that way with the decision-makers often get left behind. And I think that's what you see around the Tacoma Mall area. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there are people down there who have the kind of money or media savvy, frankly, um, to to have their voices heard. But yeah, you talk about you know campaign donations. I don't think campaign donations buy you a vote, but they do buy you access. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if you've donated, let's say, up to current state limits to a campaign, I think you have a reasonable expectation that if you call a city council member, you're going to get a call back. Mm -hmm. And I would expect they would think they're going to get a call back fairly promptly. Right. And that's whether, whether they're property developers, whether they're the Chamber of Commerce, whether they are labor unions, or frankly, whether they're some progressive cause. I would think that, that they would expect for their donation, they're going to get a call back. Mm -hmm. I don't think they, they're going to expect they vote, but yeah, they do have access. Right. But I think the thing is that people don't realize as much as that it's it's not impossible to gain that kind of access. Um, no, but I, I would say it's it's become a bit more difficult. Um, we, you know, we have elected officials have become less accessible. We used to see a lot of people participating in social media. We don't see it anymore. Uh, we see more limitations at uh, you know public forums at at council meetings than we used to. I think that it's become more difficult to have your voice heard. There are some reasons for that, but we haven't really worked very hard at getting beyond those reasons. I don't think we've really worked very hard at getting beyond them at all. And you know, what I would recommend to people is that they find ways to infiltrate and to get into the spaces where you can have some influence or at least become a known quantity. And those spaces are, you know, getting involved in your local political groups in Tacoma. That tends to be the Democrats having more power. You will see local Democrats coming to some of the county Democrat meetings. More importantly, go to fundraisers. If you go to a fundraiser, you're not obligated to give the person any money, but you can give someone even a small amount. You could make a $10 donation and you're still going to be in there and you're going to mingling you're going to see people in a social setting where you can go up to the county council member or the city council member and say hey you know i'm i'm evelyn lopez and i would like to talk with you about um my neighborhood 
over on the west end of Tacoma. And what I would like to talk about is that I think we are ripe for more apartments in my neighborhood and ripe for probably some pretty good um, transitional housing for homeless people because we're on major bus lines and uh, we're near walking distance to schools. And I think I could have that influence. You know, for a lot of these folks, they just don't encounter people very often. And so if you encounter them again and again, and I will say kind of in a positive way, you know, hey, here I am and, you know, nice to meet you and here's the things I care about, um, you can start gaining some of the same access. Now, is it going to count the same as a developer who's dropping a couple of thousand dollars on their campaign? I don't know. I don't know. But I think you can develop some personal influence. I think, you know, the one thing that I point out, uh, a lot of instances in these kinds of developments, um, they don't need any particular approvals or, or anything else. They're proposing things that are well within the zoning code for a, a particular area. You know, there, there's no approval process for appearance and, and other things. The, the approved the zoning requires, you know, sets height limits, it sets setback limits from sidewalks and the rest. But, you know, it doesn't require you to paint things green rather than brown. Um, you know, we don't like the kind of siding you're using. We'd prefer something that looks, you know, more natural. You know, these sorts of design elements that people always seem to complain about that just don't rate. You know, most of these projects just comport with the zoning. And so they fly through the process. Mm -hmm. Developers aren't stupid. Right. I mean, ideally, they want to develop the property, um, realize the financial benefit of it, and not create a whole lot of um, problems for themselves. Hello, friends. This is Marguerite Martin, creator of MoveToTacoma.com and co-founder of Channel 253. It's bad out there, folks. Home prices in Pierce County are up 15% year over year. While it's no secret that the market is hot, you may not know that Tacoma has been the hottest housing market in the country for several years. There is an extreme shortage of homes for buyers to buy. Having a local Tacoma buyer's agent that specializes in the neighborhood and price range you're after can mean the difference between losing or winning the bid on your dream home. If you're looking to sell your current home and find something that meets your needs better, having a neighborhood expert handle your listing will impact how much money you net off of your sale. The right agent to market and sell a home on the West Slope might not be the same person who has the expertise and connections to find you an income generating duplex somewhere else. All agents have specialties and I know the players for every niche. Best of all, it doesn't cost you anything. Great local agents are happy to pay me a finder's fee if you end up buying or selling. And you can rest easy knowing you're going to get a great agent who specializes in exactly what you're looking for. If you want to learn more, visit MoveToTacoma.com and use the contact form. Thanks for listening to Channel 253. Well, what would you say, jokes? we sort of decided we'd keep this one short. What would you say so... I started out by saying, why is change so hard? And now we're kind of talking a little bit on how to, um, you know, maybe deal with some things when they're up for consideration. But if you were giving advice to people who wanted to um, have a way to change decision-making or advocate for change, what kind of advice would you give? It's tough to advise simply because it is a slow process to get involved 
and work your way into the point where you can have a voice. And, I, you know, I think honestly, and this is something that we've grappled with in a number of different ways, it requires a fair amount of time and effort on your part, time and effort that a lot of people may not have, uh, particularly the people who are most in need of local transit services, most in need because they may not have other options for how to get around the city. Um, these are the very people who probably don't have the ability to go out to public meetings and, you know, attend this forum and that forum and the other forum. Mm -hmm. And I think that the challenge in a lot of ways for government is to, to break down the barriers to have these people's voices heard. And I'm not sure we're doing a very good job of that these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that, um, you know, a lot of the rules that have been put in place that require public meetings and public input during decision-making, it's very easy to turn those into a form over substance where, you know, you note the meeting and you have it and then you, and then you check the box and you're done and you haven't really engaged in any kind of a constructive uh, listening process or in a problem solving process at all. I think my advice to people who want to um, try to effectuate change on the local level would be um, three things. Um, so first, as an advocate, um, take the time to think strategically about what you want to achieve. As I said earlier, a lot of times, if your goal is to stop something, that is a really, really hard thing to do. It can happen. Um, I would say advocates in Tacoma were, were really responsible for stopping the methanol plant. Really. There was a lot of power behind it. You know, even the governor thought it was a good idea. The unions who were going to be building it thought it was a great idea. And it was really the people being persistent and frankly, bloody-minded and persistent and saying, no, 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 that, you know, we're able to effectuate a change there. Um, but be, be, think about a strategy, you know, do you, what is your goal here? Because it might be that getting um, something that is a smaller win this year, you can build on that for a slightly larger win next year. So think strategically. My second suggestion would be pace yourself because change takes time. Um, the world that we live in in 2021 looks a hell of a lot different from the world that I was born into in 1962, generally in better ways. Um, so pace yourself. Change does take time, but keep an eye open for that moment when a dam breaker might occur. Um, in the forum, they talked about trying to get just a sidewalk near the county annex building so that people who were in wheelchairs or were um, mobility impaired could get access to the drop box for ballots. The ballot drop box, the only accessible ballot drop box at the county annex was not really accessible because there wasn't a sidewalk. And what really changed that was someone coming in with a film crew and making a film about a disabled individual who was not able to reach the drop box without taking his wheelchair into the road. That was a dam breaker moment and it can shift everything. So pace yourself, but keep an eye open for those dam breakers. And third, the most important thing that I think again and again and again is this, make 
the time and the effort and the commitment to elect creative and courageous local leaders. It is so easy to be a good person with good intentions and not be a good leader. You know, you can't find the person who's just a nice person and think they're going to be effective. You've got to find the people who you really believe have the guts to make change, the guts to say no, the guts to ask questions. Um, and they're not always running. So you also have to sometimes encourage them to run. But those are the things that I would recommend. What are your thoughts, Joe? You know, my final thought kind of takes us off topic in, in one sense. But one of my frustrations whenever I've thought about transit in this region, um, it comes down to a question of, of finance, who has the money and where's the money. And largely that comes down to a question legally of, of structure. We have bifurcated transit spending in this area in a really weird fashion where we have sound transit, which encompasses large chunks of Pierce County, King County, and Snohomish County, and which has been very good at promoting its bond measures and getting them passed over the last 20 or so years. I think it actually extends into the 1990s. And it provides infrastructure projects like local light rail and also bus and train routes that run between cities in different counties. And then we have local transit like Pierce Transit, which is financed completely separately. And there's really a, a pretty strong inequity between the funding that Sound Transit has available and what's available on the local level to Pierce Transit. As Derek Young pointed out uh, when he was talking, substantial cuts were made locally to Pierce Transit back during the recession. And largely those cuts have not been restored even as tax revenues have, have continued to rise in the years since we came out of the recession. And we have a tendency, I think, to ignore this distinction between, you know, sort of the sound transit projects, which tend to favor a very different type of transit user uh, than the local Pierce Transit, which is the bus that picks you up on a street corner mm -hmm. and takes you to Tacoma Mall or takes you to the hospital or takes you to your doctor's office. And I don't quite know what to do about that. As I say, it's just we've set us we've we've set up this this really odd system that distributes transit dollars inequitably. Yeah, I think that's and, actually you know a, a lot of I, I realize sound transit is is a real sacred cow politically for a lot of people, but you know we have made a decision politically to favor the kinds of white collar commuters who by and large take sound transit over the kinds of local commuters who may not have any other way of getting to the hospital, but the bus and the bus is going to take you 45 minutes to an hour because you've got to take the bus to a hub and then take another bus from the hub. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a discussion that we probably need to have all on its own. Maybe Derek would join us for that because yes, uh, the way we have planned transit in this area is sort of, um, I will say, we are all, um, I'm, I can't find the right word, but it's, it's a feudal system where the feudal lord is Seattle. Yeah. 
And um, the rest of us are toiling in the fields to support the feudal lord. And that includes supporting the feudal lord by getting workers to the to the city and back from the city at a cost of uh, many of our other needs. And I agree, we should talk about that one. But, you know, when you when you talk about transit and transit equities and transit obstacles, you know, that's really the 800 pound gorilla in the room. Mm -hmm. You know, mm-hmm. is how we structure and fund transit in the local area. It's great if you live up in King County or if you live in Seattle. Seattle is now a rich enough city that it's able to build its own light rail lines that sub uh, that supplement um, sound transit light rail. You know, we don't have anything like that down here. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, anything else before we close out, Joe? Nope. Okay. Well, I'll do one quick shout out. If you are not yet a Channel 253 member, we would love to have you join us. $4 a month or $40 a year helps support all of these great podcasts. Plus, you get exclusives like Doug's Off the Record podcast, uh, and you get to join our Off uh, off the Record more discussions on our uh, Channel 253 member Slack channel. That's it for today. If you have suggestions uh, for future shows, please get in touch. You can contact me by email, uh, truetacoma at gmail.com or on Twitter at true underscore Tacoma. Thanks, everyone. Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.